Hey, I'm Steve Fullen. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for photographer John Enoch. One day, decided to pack everything up into the back of a very old, decrepit Ford Fiesta. You know, had a couple of names written down on a piece of paper, and I literally went and knocked on a few doors. That's how I started freelancing. Outsourcing is a good thing. As a freelancer, sometimes you can get bogged down in having to deal with all those other tasks. Actually, what I try to do is make sure that my time is focused on the things that I'm good at and that we give the other things to other people who are experts in that field. By taking the office out of the home, my productivity I found just rocketed. A task that would take me an hour to do at home took me like 15 minutes. 95% of running a business or being self-employed or being freelance is the same. So I've actually found by working with people from other disciplines it gives you a really good insight into the, how, how they work and I think sometimes you can pick things up from them that you would never come across yourself. Yes, and there is John, freelance photographer based in London and this week's guest. Remember though, it doesn't matter if you're a photographer or not, just the same as if you're not a graphic designer but the guest is a graphic designer. It doesn't matter what their job is, what they do for a particular profession or their niche. What matters is that we're having a conversation all about the being freelance and um, you can find so many guests wherever you found this one so be it on the website beingfreelance.com or in your podcast app of choice please make sure you've hit subscribe if you're able to leave a review hey that would be even nicer but yeah please uh, make sure you've hit subscribe so you don't miss episodes the vlog is ongoing as well at the website and also on youtube so you can see what i'm up to as a freelancer it's been funny recently because i've been well i moved into a co-workspace a few weeks back and so it's it's interesting seeing the effect that that's having you can find out all about it at beingfreelance.com or on youtube right now though let's crack on shall we and chat to freelance photographer john Enoch. Hey, John. Hello. Thanks for doing this. You're based in London, right? That's it. Yeah, I've been based in London now for about eight years or so. Cool. Okay, well, as ever, let's get started hearing how you got started being freelance. So it's a a very long and winding story. Um, Basically, I went to university to do a geography degree. And in that first, literally in that first month, I went into a branch of HMV. And on the counter was a a competition. And it was, uh, you know, put your name on a postcard, absolutely no luck, uh, you know, no skill rather involved. Totally forgot about it. Two months later, my phone goes, some PR agency in London saying that I've won the first prize in this competition. I couldn't even remember what the competition was. But then it transpires it was a around-the-world trip, all paid for, essentially, for 12 months. So, you know, these things really do happen. Wow! Yeah, so I went to see my tutors, and they were like, of course, you can, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can have a basically a sabbatical. So I went off and had a year out in between my first and second year. And obviously, I thought it would be a prudent idea to, you know, buy a camera and take some pictures. So that's really how I started sort of getting into photography. Um, And then I came back and I did some work on the student newspaper. And I did a little bit of work experience with the local newspaper, the Sheffield Star. 
And then I think they got a call off the New Musical Express, who were just looking for them to recommend somebody. And they very kindly passed my details over. Uh, so I think my my first ever freelance gig was going to a little little tiny little pub in Sheffield to take some pictures of this band that I'd never heard of. I think I turned up and the, the pub was totally packed. I, you know, I'd never seen anything like that in Sheffield before. Um, and it turned out to be the Arctic Monkeys. So wow. that was like first ever gig. And that was, I think, their first ever write-up in the New Musical Express. So that's how I sort of started, really. So I was freelancing in my sort of third year at university. And then when I left university, I managed to get a job you know, using those cuttings and using those contacts on a local newspaper in Lincoln. So yeah, a lot of luck and a lot of sort of good things happening at the right time. I worked in local news for, I think I did that for two years in Lincoln. So that was covering everything from, you know, wedding anniversaries to the turning on of the Christmas lights, which I actually really enjoyed because it was, you know, a good good sort of training ground in all sorts of different areas of photography. And then I moved to a, a sort of a slightly more harder news agency in the Midlands who basically the national newspaper wanted something shooting in Nottingham, they would call up this agency. And I was one of those sort of staff photographers working at that agency, just because, you know, for newspapers, they need boots on the ground quicker than they can send people from London. So I worked for that agency for about two years. And I used that as a way of getting my name known in London a little bit. And then I literally just one day decided to cut down, packed everything up into the back of um, a very old, decrepit, uh, Ford Fiesta and uh, you know I think I had a couple of names written down on a piece of paper and I literally went and knocked on a few doors and that's how I started freelancing really and I in that first month I got in really well with the times and I think I did 28 days for the times in that first month so that's really how I started by literally knocking on doors yeah I yeah I think when you're younger you just sort of presume everything is going to be fine <laughs> I think if I was to do that today, I think it would fill me with absolute dread. But I think literally I turned up beginning of September, uh, you know, had no work lined up um, and just went to see a few people. And, you know, obviously I'd done jobs for them via the news agency in Nottingham, so I wasn't a totally unknown prospect. But I think it was just, again, a little bit of luck, you know, the face fitting, arriving at the right time. Yeah. Okay, so just to put this in perspective, so when did you move down to London? Was it eight years ago? Uh, yeah, that was about eight, eight, eight or nine years ago. So how has it evolved from there? Especially because, uh, you know, so far we're talking very much about covering news stories, really, which which would be very different to somebody who lands on your website today. Sure, yeah. I mean, and that's the other interesting thing. So, so, so eight years ago, I started shooting news, and that was actually quite hard news. So I was, you know, out on the streets, covering protests, um, you know, whatever the breaking news story was of the day. But slowly over time, the odd occasion would crop up when they were maybe a little bit short and they needed somebody to shoot a portrait. So I started to get, you know, opportunities to shoot something a little bit more stylized. And I really enjoyed that. And I think I'd reached a point with the new stuff where I looked at people, you know, my my colleagues who worked for rival publications and they were, you know, maybe in their 60s or their late 50s and they were 
standing up a ladder outside the high court in the middle of December in you know three degree heat and it didn't you know I didn't I didn't really I didn't really want to be there in you know doing what they were doing so I sort of made quite a conscious decision to when when those opportunities turned up to do a nice portrait to really put a lot of effort into it and really try and master that art which was totally totally different to what I was doing so I used those opportunities to slowly build up my portfolio of sort of celebrity faces or well-known faces almost shooting you know in a way that you would if you were doing a magazine commission and then I took those pictures to magazines and said look here's my portfolio and then I started to pick up other clients excellent when you then took those photos to other magazines at that point you're then stepping out from you know presumably if a paper says can you shoot this this is where they're going to be. This is when you're going to turn up. Whereas perhaps when you go to a magazine, might might they expect you to have a studio or something? Or I don't know. A little bit. I mean, it, 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 generally I found it was very similar in terms of the way it was structured. It, you know, tends all that work tends to be on location. So a lot of it, you're going to the person's house or you're going to a hotel or, you know, occasionally they would they would expect you to have a studio, but you just hire one and you just rent a studio. That's increasingly common. Nobody really has a full-time studio in London these days just because of the, the costs associated with that. And actually, I think the interesting thing was a lot of the skills that I'd learnt operating at a newspaper level were very transferable to the next step, which was like the magazine world or the design world, which is, you know, you've got to make a picture and quite often the time is very, very short there's no excuses. You've got to deliver an image and actually working under pressure and working under really, really quite tight time constraints was something that was very, very useful because, you know, even if you're shooting an advertising campaign, uh, which I might do these days, you're not going to get hours and hours with the talent. You know, time is time is money for those people. So if you can produce the goods in a very time efficient way, that's something that pleases everybody. Yeah, I bet. So what would your website have looked like if I'd have gone to it 10 years ago or, you know, or eight years ago? Sure. There would have been uh, a picture of the Chancellor of the Exchequer standing outside number 10. There would have been some pictures of people rioting and throwing petrol bombs at each other in the streets of Athens. There would have been pictures of migrants. Um, it was it was very, very different. There, there were maybe one or two images in that set of pictures that sort of hinted at the direction that I was going to go. But it was, yeah, it was a, a totally different uh, setup. So very much more photojournalism. So like over time, did you just gradually take those off or like, or like reduce the number? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tricky because I think any freelancer, you sometimes get to those points in your career where you've got one foot in two sides of the border. And it's very difficult at that stage because you're sort of wary of taking certain material off because that still is an income stream. But sometimes you've just got to be bold. You've just got to be like, you know, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to just show the work that appeals to those people. Um, but it's tricky. And so your clients today... Do they come to you direct or is it through an agency? Uh, a bit of both. So the vast majority, I'd say like 95% come direct. And that is just, for, uh, you know, a whole number of different reasons why that might happen. You know, the, the, the best is word of mouth. You know, if you do a, do a good job and you produce good pictures, that's the best policy for generating more work. So, you know, word of mouth you know, we do we do a whole lot of marketing. So we have, you know, newsletters, 
we send out physical things twice a year. We just go and see people for coffee. We could take the portfolio out. So that's basically where the work comes. And then my agent concentrates on sort of the very top five or 10% of bigger sort of global advertising agencies who who basically just are far more comfortable and expect you to have an agent. So I'm in a really, really good position where I can pick and choose whether or not the work goes through the agent or whether I deal with it directly. And for, for some clients, they prefer to deal with me directly. And other clients, they, they'd rather have a middle person dealing with everything. So sometimes that works works best for them. Mm. When you when you said just now, we, we send things out, we do this. So who is the we in there? So yeah, so I took on a full-time marketing person about about three years back who just deals with all the office admin and all the, you know, just doing all those doing all those tasks that I no longer want to spend my time doing. That's quite a thing to do. How how did you know when you reached that point to do that? And how did you feel about it? I'd always had a few people, so I'd I'd use freelance people. In in that eight years, I probably had two full-time people and I've had another couple that I used on a freelance basis. And the problem I was having was I would spend two or three months training them up on how things work and the systems that we use. And then inevitably they would leave. So it just, I just got to a stage where I was like, you know, it definitely works. It definitely pays for itself, but I need a little bit longer with that person because, you know, the, the initial two or three months with them whilst you're trading them, it's not the most productive. So you need to try and keep them for a little bit longer. And I just found if I was using people on a freelance basis, they would inevitably go and get a full-time job or they would go and go and pick up some other work and they weren't available any longer. So I took a decision uh, to take somebody on on an actual sort of PAY basis. And that just means that, you know, there's a lot more security for them and there's obviously a lot more security for me. Yeah. Was it like a tricky thing to actually go through? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say it's probably one of the biggest challenges just because I've never been in that position before of having to effectively be someone's boss. So it's totally uh, you know, a massive learning curve for me as, it, as much as it was for them, really. And I think, like anything, you, you get out what you put in. So I think, you know, as I said, I've had those, those couple of people and I think each time I, you know, somebody leaves, I take another person on, I get much, much better at you know, being, you know, somebody's boss and structuring the workplace and telling them what I want them to do and giving them expectations and setting, you know, tasks and challenges for them. And that in itself is a totally different world that I wasn't used to initially. And I think looking back at those first people that I took on, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, you know, and it was it was obvious that, um, you know, it, it's a skill like anything. And it, it needs, you know, it needs attention and it needs time. Yeah. So when it comes to marketing, what what would they be doing for you? So I would I would have a structure across the year. So that might be we track where clients are because one of the biggest things we find in the industry is that people move around all the time. So most picture editors, most art directors are themselves increasingly freelance. So they will move around the industry. So their email addresses will change. The addresses that they're working at will change all the time. So basically, that in itself is a job. If you've got 400 potential clients, just keeping track of where they are and, you know, 
what they're working on because they might do six months here, four months here. You know, they're moving around constantly. So just having somebody to track the, the existing clients and make sure that we don't lose them because it's very easy if they move to another company and you're not aware of that. It's very easy that they will, you know, over over time they will sort of slip away. So that person, so we would we'd, we'd track people using a CRM system. The way you get work in my industry is you just want to be in somebody's head at the right time. <laughs> so it's just finding ways of being, you know, not in an aggressive way and not over the top, but just being in the back of somebody's mind so that when that commission lands on their desk and they suddenly need a photographer, you're the person that they turn to or you're the person that they think of emailing. So, you know, that might be managing the social media account so that they, you know, whilst they're on the bus on the way to work, they happen to see one of your pictures or it might be that we send them, you know, a gift at Christmas or, you know, there's there's a whole range of different things that we do to just make sure that we're always potentially that, you know, the my name is something that they think of when that when that job turns up. Yeah. And so you, you have a newsletter as well, did you say? Yeah, newsletter. So we, we blog. Um, we try to do a blog at least once a week. And then that forms sort of four or five blogs a month. And we sort of consolidate that into a newsletter that then goes out to a mailing list of existing clients. And then on top of that, I'll then do, you know, it might be a magazine or a newspaper or something physical that we then post out to people two or three times a year. But also we just try and stay in touch with people. So if I'm not shooting, I'll try and pop in and see someone for coffee or go and meet them for lunch or just generally, you know, stay in touch with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And when you say like your blog and newsletter, is that like taking a project that you've worked on, like an ex- an example of your portfolio and how you did it or? Yeah, it tends to be something that's happened relatively recently. So it would be new work essentially. So the, the blog is always, Hey, this, we shot some pictures last week of this person here they are essentially and there might be a little bit people like behind the scenes so we might show them a little bit of the behind the scenes of how that shoot happened and then we might show them also not only the imagery but also the end result how it was used in context so you know pictures of the magazine cover or pictures of that image on on a billboard on a you know on a tube station or you know just giving them a little bit more than just the just the image just so that they feel a little bit more engaged yeah so we touched there on evolving it actually into a business you know like being an employer for example how how have you handled that other side of being a business of the you know financial side for example contractual things and sure i mean i think that the financial side has always come relatively straightforward to me i think the biggest thing i'd say on that is you know outsourcing is a good thing i think when you first start you sort of very much have this sort of like bunker mentality that you have to do everything yourself, you know, that you have to be the web designer, that you have to be, you know, the, the graphic designer that comes up the logo, you know, you, you, and obviously there's a reason why you do that because you don't have the, the finances to get other people involved. Um, but I'd say one thing I've learned is, or one thing I should have done a bit sooner is try to get other people to do those areas because, you know, somebody whose job it is to build websites is going to build a website far better than you can as a photographer. And, you know, so so nowadays I have a bookkeeper who does all the finance and an accountant who deals with all the end of year stuff too. So it really what that allows me to do is just it allows me to concentrate on what I do best, which is taking pictures and coming up with ideas for imagery. And I think as a freelancer, sometimes you can get bogged down in having to deal with all those other tasks 
And I think the best lesson is actually what I try to do is make sure that my time is focused on the things that I'm good at and that we give the other things to other people who are experts in that field. Yeah. When it comes to working with a bookkeeper, would they send out an invoice and like add your expenses to your software and things like that? So the only the only area that I still do is I do the actual proactive invoicing. So I send the invoice, but in terms of tracking all the expenses, in terms of paying other people, in terms of logging all the costs, in terms of basically all of the financial management, that's something that they do. So all I have to do at the end of a shoot is send the client the invoice. And the only reason I do that is it's, it's actually easier and quicker for me because I can remember, oh, we spent, 250 pounds hiring in a giant zebra or whatever it might be yeah. and it's obviously <laughs> takes them a little bit longer to, to work out what, what that is so I, I tend to do the, the invoicing and they will chase the invoices and they will make sure that all the VAT is paid on time all the taxes paid on time I find it just works best for me because it means you know there's probably a couple of days a month where my time is then freed up to you know do the things that I'm better at Mm. Yeah, that's true. Because I've often thought about that myself. And I think, but then I'd have to send all of this information to that person in order for them to add it on. I sit there and think, so might I as well just add it on myself? Yeah. yeah. The other thing is all cloud-based. So the system we use is all based in the cloud. So all of that financial information is accessible from anywhere, at any time. So the bookkeeper won't even necessarily come into the office on a weekly basis. They will just have access to the bank accounts and see what's coming in and what's going out. And they will be able to, to, to do everything remotely. And obviously there's sometimes physical receipts. So they have to come and, you know, and wade through the paperwork but a lot of it's actually well all of it's actually on the cloud so it actually works really well you mentioned an office there so do you have a, a permanent space yes yeah so quite early on in london i i sort of moved down to london just as the credit crash happened and i think you started to see then the emergence of sort of co-working space or shared space basically as companies laid off people and suddenly realized they had half an office left and we're looking for you know other ways of making money and i think for me that's one of the best things i ever did really i think initially as a freelancer i found it quite isolating you know coming from working in a, a newsroom where you had 30 or 40 people all exactly your same age as you you know all working in the same industry suddenly to be sort of based out of your spare bedroom in a city that you didn't know was you know the potential was there for it to be not a good situation in terms of isolation so I quite quickly took a you know a co-working space and then now essentially I have too much kit so I can't really work out of a co-working space so I work out of a, a small office but it's in part of a larger complex so that you basically I find you just get all of the benefits of working for a larger company but without any of the hassle and I think it for me it helps with the work-life balance in terms of you know I can go to work and then once I've finished I can you know shut the door and walk home um, and have that little bit of separation yeah did you try working from home originally yeah I did I did and I think I just missed people if I'm honest with you I just missed you know obviously as a, as a photographer you're meeting people all the time but you're not really meeting them you know you might meet them for an hour whilst you shoot their pictures but I, so I think I really missed just having you know the same people around and the same sort of you know faces on a daily basis 
And also my productivity, I found, by taking the office out of the home was just, it just rocketed. A task that would take me an hour to do at home took me like 15 minutes just because there's no distractions, you're totally focused, you can just um, concentrate on that task at hand. And I just found at home, there was always some distraction, there was always something cropping up. So whilst there was, you know, initially there was a bit of a financial, you're like, okay, do I really need to be spending this money? on something that I could do from home, I quite quickly found, you know, that actually it paid for itself effectively. Because, you know, all all it would take me was to pick up one additional client a month and, you know, that would that would pay for it. Mm. How do you find managing your workload? I never really had an issue with it, but having said that, I'm sure others around me would say it, it is an issue. I I love it. So I don't have any qualms or problems about working seven days a week and still be working at two o'clock in the morning. For me, it's just something I love doing. So I don't really ever turn off. Obviously, having that office away from home allows me to do that a little bit more. But, you know, if I go away on holiday, I still, I'm still answering emails every hour. You know, it's just the nature of the beast, I think. You, you, you know, if you're in this business, you, you sort of have to accept that it becomes a little bit all-consuming. Yeah, and actually, it sounds like you quite like that. Yeah, I don't have any problems with it. I mean, you know, obviously there will be weeks when you were just incredibly busy. And then there are, you know, weeks that are a little bit slower. So it's sort of, you know, over the course of the year, it will balance itself out. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of being freelance, isn't it? You can decide to go for a swim on a Tuesday afternoon um, <laughs> or whatever whatever else you want to do. But, you know, other times the downside is, you know, if the work's coming in, you you, you can't say no to it. You just have to keep saying yes. So sometimes you can just, you know, just have a constant stream of work um, and you just have to sort of suck it up whilst you can. I noticed on your website there's a lot of mention of awards, which is awesome. But I'm, I, I, was, I sat there looking at them thinking, I wonder how important they are to you. And also, at first I thought, oh, he must be entering a lot of awards. And then I sat there and thought, oh, I wonder whether sometimes the magazines or the newspapers enter them. And so actually it's not him or, or the brands, for example, on, in the case of advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of that. I mean, I think initially at the start of my career, they were very important just because they got my name in front of people who it would have been trickier for me to get my name in front of. I think the one thing I would say on, on awards is that there are awards and then there, there are awards. And I think almost the awards industry in itself is, is sort of mushrooned. You know, there's, every day I seem to be getting an email about some photography awards or some other photography awards. I think in reality, the vast majority of them, you know, aren't really worth anything. But there are definitely a handful that are. And, you know, the, the main thing is when I look in the awards or if I, if I am entered for an award or if I win an award is who are the audience? You know, I don't, I don't really care if that room is filled with photographers, you know, because they're not important to me. Obviously, it's lovely to win an award, but what I really care is I want that room to be filled with art directors and art buyers. So people from the slightly wider industry. And I think there are lots of photography awards where the only people looking at them and the only people engaging with them are other photographers, which you know, is pretty pretty pointless from a career perspective. Yes. Yeah. So who 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 are my potential clients? Where are they? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you want. There's there's some awards like the AOP awards and you know you go to those events and every every other person 
is you know a picture editor or an art buyer. So there were you know there are some awards that I've won that have been very beneficial. Again, just in terms of getting getting your name out there and just sort of helping cement your place in the industry, so that people have trust in you or that people just feel that you're more established. Mm. I mean, g- given like you obviously are pretty established i think it's fair to say now like was there a moment where you felt that sort of momentum yeah i can remember it i can remember exactly when it was i was working for the times newspaper my boss phoned me he said we've got a photo shoot with the writer caitlin ran who i can't remember what they were doing with her. i think they were dressing her up as beyonce or something ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> but it was a t2 cover so for the you know she's she's obviously the times star writer and I can't remember somebody that they would normally use had dropped out or they couldn't get the normal person to shoot it. And he literally, I remember him saying to me on the phone, you know, if you do well on this, it will really help your career. And, you know, it made the cover and it was a good set of images and everyone was happy. So there were definitely turning points in your career where you literally are aware that you need to nail it because that opportunity doesn't come along very often. You know, even when you start out or even in the middle of your career, you get these these commissions that come in and you're very much aware that okay if i if i do well on this it will take me to that next little step Mm. and and from a business sort of point of view have you had any sort of help like any mentors or or have you just been figuring it out as you've gone along I, i wouldn't say i've had any sort of direct mentors i mean there are a lot of people who i keep a close eye on and i look at you know, what they're doing and how they're doing it. But no, I haven't had any any mentors. One, one of the other things I would say about taking the office out home and working from another space is that you meet other people. So a lot of the people that I've shared space with before or, you know, have been in the office next door, they've worked in other industries. So they might work in recruitment or they might run a design agency or something like that, which at first seems very unrelated to photography. But actually, all small businesses or all freelancers are the same. You know, the the end product that you're selling might be different, be that, you know, illustration or photography or, or whatever the, the nature of the game that you're in. But 95% of running a business or being self-employed or being freelance is the same. So I've actually found by working with people from other disciplines, it gives you really good insight into the, how, how they work. And I think sometimes you can pick things up from them that you would never come across yourself. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you go to a co-workspace or listen to a regular podcast, of course. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I always do this thing, John, where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true and one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay, so I was once commissioned to photograph the Prime Minister, Theresa May, at her office in Downing Street, and the shoot went well. Um, and as I left Downing Street, I suddenly realised that I'd left my phone behind in her office so I had no way of getting home no way of calling a taxi and it took me two days to go through various security procedures to manage to get back into Downing Street to retrieve my phone and obviously as any freelancer knows not having access to your phone is a massive massive problem so that's one the the second one is I was once commissioned to photograph the sprinter Usain Bolt and we we set up and then we ended up waiting around for about six hours for him to turn up. And the whole time, the the PR was you know apologising. When he turned up, he gave us literally about twelve seconds for the picture. So we had to do the whole photo shoot 
in about the same time that it takes him to run the 100 metres. And then the third one is I was once commissioned to photograph about four or five England football players up at St. George's Park, the, the England training facility. And as we were unloading the car, we left the car keys in the boot and we shut the boot and we locked the car keys in the car along with all the cameras. So whilst we had the sort of the leading strikers of England lined up in the field, we didn't have any camera kit, uh, which was a bit of an issue. What did you do? We had to, we, we had to, we had to cancel it. There was, there was no way of getting back into the car. We tried breaking the back window, which we couldn't do. And it was just felt better after sort of trying to get into the car for like half an hour. Uh, if we'd sort of rescheduled it the next week. Okay. I don't know. England football, a very quick shoot of Bolt or leaving your phone with Theresa May. Oh, I don't know. See, I've never been to Downing Street. I wonder whether they would just take your phone off. Would you even be allowed in with a phone? Bolt, 10 seconds. I mean, that's about a bit. That's very plausible. England football, car locked England football, cancelled though. I have no idea. I don't think you left your phone with the Prime Minister. I did. (gasps) No, I did. Yeah. So the lie is the England football players. I've, (laughs) I've never. Touch wood, had any any disasters on that scale. I once locked my keys in my boot, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, I did it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that that hasn't happened, fortunately, (laughs) although I'm sure I'm going to have recurring nightmares. I was even sitting there thinking, could you, if you wanted to smash the back window, I suppose you probably could. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, so what? So you actually left your phone in Downing Street? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I and I left. I walked out, and I was. Sort of, they wouldn't let me take an assistant for that shoot, so I was literally stumbling down Downing Street, like carrying <laughs> every bit of kit I think I've ever purchased. And then I got halfway down Downing Street, and I suddenly realised I'd left it, and I was like, I can't get back. Why? There was like a bank of photographers waiting because the Irish were turning up. The Irish uh, prime minister, I think, was turning up. So I was like, I can't walk back past all of the other bank of photographers. And they were like, they, Downing Street said, look, you need to get out now because if, if you don't get out, you're going to be trapped here for an hour or two whilst you know the Irish delegation turned up. So I was sort of hastily thrown out into Downing Street. And I just, you know, to save face, I just felt like I was, I was thinking I was carrying like a nine foot colorama sort of roll of paper over one shoulder. So I just felt I couldn't go back in and try to look for my phone. So I just left it and uh, had to retrieve it days later. But it was nice. It meant I got to go back. Yeah, that's true. But you, you used to... I mean, you used to be in that bank of photographers, right? I did, but they, but that was different. So I've never went into actually into Ten Downing Street. So I, yeah, I would be on the uh, quite often on the left hand side of the street. But this was like a walk in, go into her office, and do a full setup. You mentioned very early on about you know looking at those guys on the ladders and some of them being in their sixties. So if that wasn't the vision for you when you're sixty, like, is it just doing what you're doing now, or is there like some- yeah? I think so. I think I, I, as soon as I got to shoot in like nice studios in London that had toilets and a coffee <laughs> machine, <laughs> having been like a working press photographer on the streets, that was just like heaven. Because basically, as a, as a working press photographer, you spend half of your time drinking coffee and the other half of your time in a panic because you need the toilet, but you can't leave the place you're at because 
if you leave, that is that's when the day's news will happen. So yeah, as soon as I found studios and you know assistants and all this, it was definitely a realization that that was the direction I wanted to head in. Yeah, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I I actually think it would be everything is going to be okay. So maybe be a bit bolder. And I think what I mean by that is. I think when you first start off, you, you know, you, you're quite tentative. And I think if I could say to myself something, it would be, you know, go a little bit harder and go a little bit faster. And also to to invest in yourself as much as you do the photography. I think when you first start off in any creative discipline, you're so wrapped up in that creative process that that's all you think about. So I just think about pictures and the portfolio and, you know, images. And actually, as a freelancer, I think if I worked out a little bit earlier that that's about 50% of it, you know, in terms of getting work and getting good paid work, that's, that makes up about 50% of the reasoning as to why you might get a shoot. So I think maybe just being a little bit more aware of that earlier on and maybe investing a little bit more in myself and not just thinking about the pictures. Mm. John, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. Go to beingfreelance.com and there will be links through to what John is up to. You can check out his portfolio, check out his work and bear in mind what he said it looked like, you know, eight years ago and what you see now. So go to beingfreelance.com and link through. Of course, there's, oh God, I don't know, over 140 episodes. So, so many more where you can go and back and listen to. Make sure you've hit subscribe. Check out the vlogs as well and hit subscribe on YouTube as well. But of course, if you could do one favor for me, it would be to share this with people, be it on social media or in person when you're in your co-workspace or a meetup or whatever. Yeah, let other freelancers know what's, uh, what's going on. But John, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you, Steve. Thanks so much.